The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 116 for August 20th, 2007. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the uh, Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I am here with John Braun. And uh, we're happy to be here as we are every week talking to you about all things, uh, all things Mac and beyond. We're just, we're just Mac geeks. Hi, John. How are you? Great. I was waiting for that because now I can drive the conversation in a totally different direction. Yeah. That's uh, that's kind of why we, that's why we have you. No, I mean, I'm kind of anticipating playing with this toy that I just got because, you know, the UPS truck and the FedEx and the the DHL truck all just pull up here at all hours. That's right. Dropping off, you know, just pallets full of stuff to look at. But uh, you, safe to say you and I will be doing a review cast. Yeah. This is a Wi-Fi gadget I'm looking at. It looks pretty yeah. slick. But we're not doing the review cast today, are we? Oh, no, of course Good. not. No, we're talking about uh, eh, some other. Yeah, we've got fonts, databases, uh, talking about disappearing folders, a little bit more about security, following up on a couple of things, uh, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address to which you can send all of your questions, comments, tips, thoughts, and uh, and really anything else you want to tell us. And uh, you can also visit the show notes. They are at MacGeekGab.com. And you can Skype your call, your audio into MacGeekGab, or you can call 206-666-GEEK. That is by far and away the most popular way of getting in touch with us, though. Email is is uh, is fine, too. We we like it all. So. Yeah, and Geek is four three three five. If you have a phone with no letters, which no letters, that's right. It, it can happen. It, I've heard about that. Yeah. All right, we will uh, we will start with Nicholas here, and he writes. He says, "I'm new to Macs and have recently purchased a MacBook Pro. I use Linux on my desktop computer and Windows XP at work. On both Linux and XP, I get a preview of what font will what a font will look like when I select a font from a list of available fonts within an app. For example." I want to change the font I'm using to compose this email. When I'm using Linux or Windows, I click on the fonts drop-down list. I get the list of fonts on my system, and each of the fonts is displayed in that font's style. On my MacBook Pro, I get a fonts window which lists the fonts on the system but gives no preview of what the font looks like. The only apps I've seen font previews on my MacBook Pro are FontBook and NeoOffice. Is there a way to get font previews to show up all the time on my Macs? It would be really nice to have that feature so I don't have to either memorize how each of my fonts look or keep FontBook open while choosing different fonts. Found a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I found was from you software called You Control Fonts, and it does, uh, among other things, exactly this. It allows you um, font menus with the uh, it, WYSIWYG font menus. That Pretty much that's it. So uh, that that's one option. We'll obviously put the link in the show notes and Michael, I'm sure has the link up in front of us already. So you control, you, you control fonts from you software. And John, you said you found something too. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a, a golden oldie because, well, I'm not sure if it's the same people. If it is, that's awesome. But um, I'm going to say it's pop char. Or would you say pop care? I, I always called it pop care because it's the first four letters of the word character, right? Yeah, and I'm doing char because that's usually how, how programmers one. pronounce the small. Yeah, that's char, but yep. whatever. So, um, anyways, this product is a little different. It, it's not so your menus don't look like the font, but what it does is it puts a little tiny menu in uh, the default case in the upper left-hand corner of your screen. If you click on it, it shows you a screen very fim- similar to a font book that shows you several characters uh, as they will look. But the nice thing about this, which is kind of a different purpose, is that if you click on a character, it will insert it into the document that you're in. So if you're looking for that one really weird, bizarre character, I would say this is um, a good complement to a feature that shows you what the thing looks like, is that you, you may have to still hunt around to figure out the key combo. And especially for some offbeat characters, the key combo can be a real bear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, option, Apple, control, function, shift, uh, <laughs> you run out of fingers. Just be so, careful uh, so you don't cool. shut down your computer accidentally while hunting for the font. <laughs> but yeah, so this is great because it shows you what all the characters look like and you just click on it and it puts it in the document. So uh, I would vote for this as uh, something to look at. All right. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's other options available out there too. And uh, feel free to send those in. We'll either forward them off to Nicholas or, uh, or mention them here on the show. 
uh, next is Kyle with, uh, well, he'll tell us. I think. Hi, guys. My name is Kyle. I work for a photographer company. I was just wondering, um, we're looking for a way to uh, manage clients. And so uh, the solution we were going to look at is go ahead and set up some sort of database and hopefully have some sort of software front end on it to um, input the data that, that looks prettier than a database. Um, so I guess I, I used to do Visual Basic on the in my back of my Windows days and realized that you can have a quick, easy way that looks nice, that'll app that'll run right on your desktop where you can go ahead and input the client's name and, and all their information. And I'm just wondering how I go about designing something like that, that uh, some software solution that'll talk to a database that will share over a network. So just wondering if you guys have any ideas. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right. Uh, so for for me, you, you all know me. So this is like the big soft pitch coming in, right? The big lob and I've got the huge bat ready to go. And, and the, the swing is uh, FileMaker, right? That that That's what I just jumped to for this stuff. It is very easy to design that front end. Uh, in fact, the front end can be designed by, uh, you know, graphic artists. It, it's that whole just drag page layout look. There's no coding to be done. You you create your database on the back end, but even that's very, very simple. You've, you've heard me talk about this before. So uh, FileMaker would, would do this. And of course, FileMaker Pro Advanced uh, offers you the ability to uh, connect not only over a network with other clients of FileMaker, but uh, the FileMaker Pro Advanced includes the ability for 10 users to connect via a web uh, interface to your Mac. Uh, so you can see the database right from there. And then, of course, if you need more than 10, you go to FileMaker Pro Server Advanced, and then you, you can have, I think, uh, I think it's 255 simultaneous web connections happening. So that's uh, that's my thought on that. I know, John, you had uh, actually a very interesting solution. So run with yeah, it. Yes, so it sounds to me like Kyle is a, uh, he does something very similar to what I do, and I'm actually currently working on a project where I'm using uh, visualstudio.net. Okay. Um to create a visual basic front end because I don't care what people say. I mean, there are some, you know, certain programmers who are like visual basic. That's not a real language. How can you use basic to get anything done? And to me, huh. it, it's one of the best tools on windows to develop a front end because lay, laying out forms and buttons and tying events and, and things together is just awesome. And then you can tie into uh, components. But anyways, if it, I, I got the feeling that Kyle already has an existing database that he'd like to connect to. Okay. Okay. If that's the case, then he could certainly take the FileMaker route, and I'm sure FileMaker can import, sure. bring it over, you know, so it's all in one place. Yep. Uh, I would imagine they can do uh, some sort of CSV or some other sort of oh. import. Yeah, well, they can Im import DBF files too. But yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other option would be is that if you uh, get a nice little program called Real Basic, and they have a Real Basic Professional, and this is very similar. I haven't actually used it um, recently, but I know about the product and, and read up on it. And basically, Real Basic 2007 Professional will talk to a whole bunch of databases here. And they say uh, they'll talk to Real SQL Server, which I imagine is their database, Oracle, Microsoft SQL Server, Postgres, FileMaker. Oh, it talks to FileMaker. Well, that's oh, nice. Interesting. So if he's into, so we're going to try to sell him two products here. He can buy <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, if he's, if he's into, if Whatever's in FileMaker doesn't suffice, then he may want to go, you know, nuts and develop it. Though I would say this is a harder option. I mean, if you're developing your own front end, yeah, um, versus using the facilities of FileMaker, I would say that would take more time. But it sounds like he's skilled in that. It also tells the Sybase open. It, pretty I, much I wonder if it would imagine. connect to to SQLite, which is the database built in to OS X. I mean, I I think like like Visual Basic, I believe that Real Basic has the same sort of uh you know form generation tools to to make that whole ui creation a whole lot easier than it would be if you had to code it all by hand um oh yeah if it's like visual basic then yeah, yeah and then looks you like would it. have a control yeah if it's like vb a control which is a odbc connector control and then it yeah. just pulls the data into tables or oh whatever. and speaking of odbc connectors actual technologies right which uh we yeah. sort of referred to last time and you linked in the show notes they have an ODBC connector to SQLite on OS ten. So there you go. There's your uh, there's your, your that's it. Yeah. So now I've seen OpenBase on my OS ten installation. I'm not quite sure who put that there. I think that comes with it, doesn't it? Or oh uh, maybe I don't know. I know I know there's quite a few apps that 
that bundle it, you know, as part of a runtime solution. So mm-hmm. it's possible that uh, that you. Yeah, I haven't looked in detail, but I noticed yeah. one place. You know, one time I was just searching around for things, and I saw Open Base uh, mm. Viewer or something like that. I'm like, huh, where did that come from? If anybody knows, let us know. Uh, yeah, what's that doing there? So, uh, okay, Real Basic Pro. Um, That's it. I'm gonna check it out. All right, cool. Uh, Kevin has a, a interesting question. Hey, John and Dave, it's Kevin from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, phoning. Um, I'm a home-based recording engineer. Um, I have a small studio out of my, my place in Edmonton. Um, I run Cubase 4 and Reason 3 and love the programs, love, love working with digital audio and all that. Um, but I'm having a really big problem lately with a lot of audio clicks in my um, recording. I'm running a Mac Mini, um, a, a P, Power PC Mac Mini, um, and I've been running 10.4.9. I've I've tried fresh install for like 10.4.9 and 10.4.10. Um, so I'm running the Mac Mini with an M Audio USB um, interface, and uh, I have the latest driver installed on that. And my my troubleshooting lately, I've actually just been using. Uh, GarageBand with the interface. Um, I'm not using Cubase or Reason or anything else. Just GarageBand and the interface, and and trying to figure out whether it's Apple or or the interface that would be the problem. I have the latest driver on the interface, and like I said, I've tried fresh installing um, 10.4.9 on the Mac Mini, um, 10.4.10, and I even went back to when I first bought it out of the box and fresh installed from the disks, the driver from the interface and uh, the OS for the Mac Mini that worked really good then. Um, so I'm a little bit at a loss as to what would be happening. It's audio clicks that I'm getting in the recorded audio um, when I record into um, the audio card. Um, you know, I can see on the waveform an, an actual line dip when, when the click happens, so I, I know it's something digital. Anyways, uh, my phone number is seventy. Whoa! All right, uh, <laughs> I knew I knew there was somebody that had left a phone number. I thought it was the previous one, and so I wasn't quite on the uh, on the ball. But I don't think that's enough to actually reach him. If you can get his phone number out of that, that's like name that tune, you know. So that's good. Um, okay, so I've heard of this happening uh, at various times in the past. I know that uh, I think it was prior to ten four five or ten four four. There was a software issue on the uh, it was it was available for a couple of point releases, I think from 10.4.2 through 10.4.4 or something like that, where uh, this was happening on PowerBooks. And then there was just audio lockouts that were happening, all kinds of stuff. But I believe that had been fixed. But, of course, Kevin's using, you know, 10.4.9 or 10.4.10. In theory, that stuff's gone. So the next thing is uh, it's USB. What else is on the USB chain? You know, USB is one of those things where you're not getting a dedicated stream, even though it's faster than FireWire 400 in theory. Um, you know, it, it, it's not uh, it's burstable. So it's possible that you've got some other USB device on the chain that's getting in the way or, you know, sending blips across that are causing, you know, some sort of uh interference that that cubase doesn't like to see and you know the timing issue you know how audio is everything's got to be happening right as expected and and buffers are only so big so uh check and and see if you've got any other usb devices if you can get rid of them even temporarily try that see if that helps so that that's that's uh the first option the second and again this is a non-optimal solution but it's it's simply a, a troubleshooting technique is Remove the M audio device and plug directly into the sound input. You're using the Max onboard, you know, uh, D to A or A to D com, uh, decoders, encoders, encoders, I guess. Uh, you know, you won't get the same sound quality that you would with Cubase, but at least it pulls the M audio unit out of the uh, mix, and we can really see if this is, you know, happening just in OS 10 or or if it is related somehow to the uh, to the M audio unit. Beyond yeah. that, uh, I, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I wouldn't know. Well, wouldn't one know simple thing always yeah. to try to eliminate things. But, you know, if you have a cable that, you know, somebody chewed on or or, or thing chewed on. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, swap out whatever USB cable you're using to, uh, to connect to it. Or now, you know, this is a common thread here, but uh, 
you know, a lot of phenomenon uh, crosses over into different worlds, but whatever cable you're running to the device, make sure it's not near anything that could cause you grief. So, mm. you know, if you got another table or another place to put the device, uh, I, I'm just thinking if it's near a power strip or sure. a light or or something and the cable is marginal, you know, if, if, if there's information, I would imagine it could come across as a click if it's an actual analog, you know, uh, phenomenon and it causes noise on the line. It may, you know, munch the data so that you're not getting data, you're getting clicks or pops or whatever. So yeah. give that a whirl. It's always worth a shot. I've, I've had more than one occasion where it was a chintzy cable. So Yeah, yeah, yeah that's actually a simple and yet uh, oft-overlooked solution to, to problems like this. Um, so we, we last week we were talking more about wireless security and, and mentioned a couple of things, and we got a lot of emails about it. Uh, we've got a couple of comments that we uh, wanted to share, actually one, one that we wanted to share. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week, and that is Audible. Visiting audible.com slash MacGeekGab gets you one free download and a 14-day free trial of Audible Listener Gold from audible.com. The stuff you download there, you can listen on your Mac, on your iPod, on your iPhone, of course, because it's an iPod, on your Trio, you can burn to CD. They've got over 35,000 titles, all kinds of stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, just about every genre available, the stuff that, that might pertain to listeners here. I was how I invented the personal computer and had fun along the way. Stephen Levy is the perfect thing. How the iPod shuffles commerce, culture, and coolness. Icon Steve Jobs, the greatest second act in the history of business, and Alan Joyce, Alan Deutschman's The Second Coming of Steve Jobs. So again, Audible.com/slash/MacGeekGab gets you a 14-day free trial of Audible Listener Gold and one free download. You can click the link in the show notes, or you can simply type it in. So that's uh, Audible.com/slash/MacGeekGab. Hi guys, uh, Chad in Denver calling. Wanted to add one more layer of security to your conversation about uh, protecting uh, wireless uh, computers and routers. Uh, I found uh, at home I had a computer that uh, kept popping up on my DHCP list that was not one of mine. Uh, and it was coming in via wireless. I had WPA2 encryption. Uh, I would change my password uh, about once a month. Uh, and this computer, uh, about two weeks after I changed my password, kept popping back in again. So clearly I thought one of my neighbors uh, was spending an awful lot of time looking at my network. <laughs> so what I decided to do at that point is just go into my uh, my hardware, uh, my computer router there, and just give it a list of MAC addresses uh, that were authorized to get an address and connect to that access point. Uh, I've got three MacBooks uh, at home and a little Skype phone. Uh, got their MAC addresses, typed them in, uh, kept uh, WEP2 or WPA2 encryption turned on. Uh, but now that person's never come back because there's no way that router is going to let them attack them, attach themselves to it. Uh, so that might be a uh, kind of another layer of security. Is if you only got a couple people, uh, go ahead and put in MAC addresses there. It's real simple to do, and that will keep everybody else out. Thanks. Uh, it, you're you're absolutely right. It is. A fantastic additional layer of security. Uh, however, John, I think I, I can I can just hear you chomping at the bit here. So so go ahead and 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 well, and, I wouldn't say. I mean, fantastic may be strong, but anyways, I I think we want to make it clear because when we got the question before, it was you know how can I be safer in a in a college environment? Right. So we tossed out a few things. I would say you know. I think we made it fairly clear the things, the more things you put in place to discourage somebody, especially now it sounds like the attacker here for Chad was a, a script kitty, as we like to call them. Somebody yep. who had a tool and once something happened, they didn't expect they went on to easier pickings. So Mac addresses, you can certainly, if you monitor enough traffic, find a Mac address of a valid base station um, or a valid client and, and, clone that you know that's not too hard uh likewise yeah. for the especially if the guy had already already been in the network right he could have grabbed yeah. the mac addresses of all the clients there anticipating that this might happen someday who knows you know? yeah i mean the best thing a lot of time you know put as many things in place as possible like for example wpa2 is the best um you know the best out there right now if you tie it to a radius server which is another portion of a full security solution that'll work even better um you know, changing the name of the base station every now and then, 
especially to something incomprehensible or, or very hot, though then your users will get upset. Um, you know, passwords rotate those. Uh, you know, or use protocols. You know, that do key rotation, or make sure you set to do key rotation so that you know, unless they capture the traffic at a certain point in time. But I won't claim I know everything about. You know, I mean, there are, there are other podcasts. Maybe we can find a couple here that go into excruciating detail about this. We're just offering suggestions for best practices. Um, but some, you know, some measures are more effective than others. You know, so hiding it so you don't beacon. Yeah, that's kind of wimpy. And the MAC address thing is kind of wimpy. And some things are, you know, someone who knows what they're doing can get the tools to find out how to get in. But I, I think you're with me, Dave, where, you know, the more things you put in place that are unusual... I mean, if somebody's really determined, I would think they could get into anything. And if, you know, somebody's close enough yep. <laughs> to be beaten on your station, like, you know, what Chad said, I mean, he, he got kind of hit to the fact that somebody was coming. So, you know, part of good security is kind of keeping an eye on your network to make sure nobody's uh, trying to get in. Because then maybe you have bigger problems than <laughs> wireless security. Yeah, that's Probably actually a, a good a good point <laughs> is, is, yeah, Chad, it, the, the one thing we we didn't mention, uh, which you did just now, is that Chad was actually monitoring his network. Then that that is key to security. You you could put all the measures you want in place if you there's but there's always one more right. And and so monitoring what you've done and uh, and what's going on there to make sure that that all the measures you put in place uh, are actually working and and doing what you want them to do. So yeah, one one pot you mentioned podcast. The uh, Security Now podcast with mm-hmm. uh, with Steve Gibson and Leo Laporte is one that uh, a lot of you have mentioned as a great resource on this. So I will uh, I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes now and save you the the trouble, John. So, uh, all right. So now we have uh, something sort of in the same in the same vein here. Hi there, uh, one of your regular listeners from Scotland in the UK. Um, quick query in relation to um, encryption programs. I've recently moved over to the Mac OS. Um, I work as a forensic analyst within law enforcement, so I'm used to computing, but certainly in terms of uh, usability, um, I'm very new to uh, the Mac. However, what I'm looking for is um, a program um, to encrypt folders on the fly and decrypt uh, as and when I choose. Also, trying to find out whether the Mac OS offers any type of functionality to deny access to applications. So, for instance, if someone else was using uh, my MacBook, then uh, can I stop them uh, opening up mail or any other type of application that exists within um, the Mac OS? I appreciate your thoughts on that. Thanks. John, I'll uh, I'll let you take this one from the start here. Oh, okay. So, um... Kevin had a few different questions here, and I'll, I'll, I'll address a couple of them as, as best I can. And uh, uh, great expense, at great expense, and at the last minute, anyway. So folder level <laughs> encryption. I thought there was something, but I couldn't find a recent reference to it called Folder Bolt, which I think was kind of what he was looking for. But but I think if he's talking about now, it's not at the folder level, but of course there's always a uh, you know our friend FileCrypt, which is uh, you know built in, and that does you know more of a uh, Volume level encrypt, so uh, I think that's part of the uh, the solution there. Yep. And you know that's if you go in your uh, security control panel, or sorry, file vault, sorry, um, where if you turn that on, it, it creates a encrypted uh, uh, user space. So that could be one thing to try. Now um, he also mentioned, let me see, keeping people away from applications. Now I'll ask you about this, Dave. But I, well, I think one thing is that you want to create um, different users, of course. So, yeah, you know, get separate user accounts because uh, yeah, there's no way to do it other than that. So, but I believe I don't know. I haven't actually tried this. You you help me out here. Okay, <laughs> I'm kind of surprising you, but you know, if you if you create another user, can you uh, restrict them to certain applications, or do they get everything in you the applications can, folder? No, you can you can um, you you can restrict them to only the applications in their apps folder. Um, okay. Or you can, if you have a specific app that you want to keep people away from, put it in your apps folder, and uh, and then you know that that too will uh, will will make that work, um, right? Because you can't get into someone else's uh, folder. Mm-hmm. You know, you you try to get there and it it just locks you out. So if they've if you've got an apps folder in your home directory, 
put the the apps you want to hide or or keep private in there and then you know nobody else has access to them unless they're an administrator of the computer in which case they can they still won't have access easily but they could go in and change your password and then log in as you and do whatever they like so um that's 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 my thoughts on it Okay, and then to, to, to um, which I think will more directly address the uh, issue about encrypting and decrypting. Uh, yeah. Again, it's not quite what he wanted, which is a folder, but there are a number of applications that will create and extract uh, compressed or uh, encrypted archives. The uh, the zip many of the zip programs support a password, which is uh, basically mapped to an encryption key, and it usually uses fairly good encryption uh, along with the zip file. And there are a few things I found that did that. So one, which is, you know, we've, we've seen for ages, um, Stuff It Deluxe does okay. support, you know, encrypted, um, many encrypted uh, formats there. Uh, another f- program that I find is Compress Files. I think it's about 10 bucks. Uh, I don't have the price on the, the other product uh, right now. And then I found another one, which appears to be an open source one. And this is kind of cool because it's Java. And this is something called J File Encrypt, and because it runs on Java, it runs on any platform, including Mac, which has uh, Java five or you know a version. Uh, and and I looked, and it supports some of the you know more recent a- algorithms like AES two fifty six and maybe even five twelve. Oh, so, cool! So we're going to link to to those three apps, but between those there, and actually another one um, off the top of my head here, PGP. Oh, uh, yeah. Which you remember from times past. They've changed a little bit. They, they used to offer a nice free version that would, you know, encrypt and decrypt and all that using public key. Uh, right now, they have they have a product that uh, I looked at recently. It'll encrypt your email. It'll encrypt your chats, which is kind of cool. It'll link into various internet messaging protocols and uh, and encrypt the traffic, kind of like you can do with .Mac, which you and I did a little while ago. Yep. If you're both on .Mac, you can create an encrypted uh, iChat session. Um, and what else do they do? And they also do volume encry- encryption, PGP, and I believe file level too, though, though I didn't really look at that in detail. So between those four things, <laughs> wow. um, I think that's a good set of things to initially look at. And if I find a couple more, we'll uh, you know, put them in the show notes, which should be up lickety split. Yeah, you so, had them up uh, fast last week. Uh, I yeah. have I have one thing to add. Well, one comment and one thing to add. So folder bolt, that's like a blast from the past. That's I think from OS eight, OS nine days. Right. Uh, if, if memory serves. And then there's also the option of creating an encrypted disk image, uh, which you can which you can do with disk utility. And that will also give you sort of a, a safe place to store things. You can store apps on an encrypted disk image. I've actually done it. It depends on the app. Some apps are run fine from it and some won't run at all. They, they want to be in an apps folder somewhere for whatever reason. Uh, so, you know, test it out. Your mileage may vary, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the cool thing about an encrypted disk image is you could save it to, you know, a, a, a memory key or, a, you know, a, a flash drive or right. a thumb drive. And, and then you could bounce it around to whatever Mac you have and boom, you're, you're good to go. So that's, uh, that's a good point. One last thing, which, uh-huh. uh, I think I mentioned a couple times in past shows, but this is something you wouldn't expect, and I don't know why they put it here, but there's something called Keychain Access. Okay. And it has one feature which you wouldn't expect in there. So it has your keychains, your passwords, if you choose to use Keychain Access certificates. Yep. But it has something called Secure Notes. I've, I, you know, I'm in Keychain Access probably every day, if not every day, certainly three times a week. I've never noticed that until you mentioned it just now. <laughs> And I guess what it does is it creates with a password protection, it creates a note, which unless you give it the password, you don't see it. And I'm, I'm going to suspect that since it's a secure, it probably encrypts it. But maybe it just password protects it, though. That'd be kind of silly. So Really? Really? Is that what it does? Well, just, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to encrypt it if it says it's a secure. No, I, wait a minute. I think this is, um, I think this allows you to, Add things to the keychain, right? No, no, it's a, it's a little note. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I. I yeah. All right. Uh, that 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 warrants further investigation. That looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So there's always something more. All right. Uh, moving on. We mentioned an issue, uh, and I believe it was the last episode. Uh, listener Thomas had 
a problem where he every time he rebooted his Mac, his desktop folder would go away, and uh, and and a lot of his settings would reset, and it was driving him crazy. And we had a lot of you write in, uh, it basically all saying the same thing that you had seen something like this before, and and this audio comment pretty much covers it. So I'm gonna let this I'm gonna let this play, and then we'll actually talk. Uh, we'll hear from Thomas and, and, and hear what actually happened. Although this comment is probably the more common reason for this issue to happen. So, Hi, John and Dave. Uh, I was just listening to your recent podcast, and you had a user, Thomas, who had a lot of his uh, desktop and user settings disappear after upgrade to 10.4.10. And uh, being a customer support uh, representative myself, we've seen that issue happen several times uh, where users all of a sudden have a lot of the data associated with their user account disappear. And what has happened in every one of those cases is somehow, some way, their users folder, uh, you know, the, the folder slash user slash their username, had gotten moved or renamed. And then when they subsequently logged out or rebooted their computer, uh, the next time they logged in, that folder got regenerated with all the defaults, and thus their former data disappears. So, in all those cases, to solve that, uh, it's pretty much a, a case of finding where that data got to. Spotlight could be very helpful in finding the name of a, a file that was moved that you know existed before, and uh, finding where the folder went to, renaming it, putting it back in the proper location, and deleting the uh, the one that got regenerated. And next time you log in, all the data should be back and intact. So that's something you might want to give Thomas uh, advice about. Thought I'd let you guys know. We've seen that several times, and we've been able to fix it in every case. So, thank you guys. Bye. All right. So that's that's good to know. And let's talk about that for a little bit, John. The, the whole concept of of renaming your user folder, uh, yeah, it, it's a bad idea, I, I think. John, though, though I have okay. to say, it, the thing is, if it shouldn't happen. Why does the computer let you? I I just looked moments ago. Yeah. I highlighted my user folder and it has an option rename. Yeah. Why is it letting me do that? So I would say there probably should be I mean both Mac and Windows tend to hide things that you really shouldn't be touching. Like there's lots of wonderful directories slash bin slash etc. Yeah. You know, part of Unix that normally though you can get utilities that let you see this, and maybe we'll dig up a couple. Um, there are certain things that you're not shown for a good reason, is that you shouldn't really touch them. I, yeah, I guess. You really, really know what you're doing. And, and I would say that the default things that Apple lays down, so desktop, your user folder, which is whatever your username is, applications, documents, movies, all those things on the left there that are part of the OS when it's installed fresh, I would say it's probably a good idea not to ever change any of them don't rename them certainly because like especially applications i can imagine i mean a lot of things and i think on tmo we've had you know quick tips and stuff like that but if if you start moving things out of applications or you know renaming it yeah i mean some programs make certain assumptions about where things are and i would say like the applications folder is one of them but also i think your user folder is another if that all of a sudden changes a lot of applications are going to say whoa where the heck did <laughs> This information I used to know about Go, so yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised, but I'm I'm critical of Apple. I think, or you know, OS makers in general, that they even allow people to do that. I think it's Unix that that we have to blame here, right? Because your user folder, by default, is owned by you, the user, right? Uh, as far as file permissions go, so everything in it. In, inherits that ability to be changed and modified by you um but yeah you'd think that there would be a way to just make the finder intelligent kind of watching what you're doing and say uh hey you know you're allowed to do this but uh you might want to read this little article first before you go ahead and and you know it's something yeah because it because it's a bad idea i've all i've also seen it where people you know if you create a short username when you you know when you first sign in like you know I'll if I create an account on a Mac it'll be Dave Hamilton and my short username is Dave for example you know and then let's say I want to change that to D Hamilton that's not a trivial task uh, and it involves changing a lot of things including the name of your home folder um, but it also involves you know going in and and editing the uh, Etsy password and Etsy groups files 
to to reflect the the right user number and group number associated with the the new name and uh, it's a big mess so yeah i agree don't don't mess with it and and this actually it's similar to thomas's problem but uh let's read or, or, or have you said uh, everything you you wanted to say on on this particular topic before i move on to what actually was going on with thomas yes okay so thomas writes he says uh heard you talking about this on the show in addition to the files being deleted and settings being restored to default after about three days of file deletion when i turned on my computer i got a black screen that looked like the terminal and it wanted me to log in once i logged in it said welcome to darwin and left me at a command prompt i had no idea how to bypass this and i couldn't do anything on my macbook i took it to the apple store they booted my macbook from an external hard drive and after that everything was fine i still lost all the files the apple genius said that because my folder was named desktop, which was the same name as a system folder, when the system was updating, it found my custom folder called desktop and deleted it because the system thought it was just a copy of my system folder desktop. The reason my desktop background was reset to default was because the picture used as my background was stored in the desktop folder. He had no explanation for the black login screen when the MacBook booted up or for the deletion of my folders folder. So Thomas hadn't removed or renamed his desktop folder but somehow he had created a second desktop folder uh and it it seems like like you said john there are some reserved names that you don't really want to muck with and uh, it sounds like that that uh that that kind of bit him here so yeah i mean depending on how certain people write their software they may look they may vigorously try to find something with a certain name and yeah if they stumble across the wrong one in the wrong place they may assume that it's the right one yeah yeah and it seems you have bad problems i mean if you have two desktop folders that to me is yeah not good a recipe for disaster so <laughs> so it's unfortunate you know Add i think salt, i've heard of boil, this problem done yeah i think i've heard of this problem also on windows too you know the, if you give a folder a certain name that's already one that's important to the operating system really bad things start happening. Yeah. So, uh, so back to our original point, you know, whatever, uh, so in addition to not renaming anything that's, that's put there, um, and especially has Apple things inside of it. Um, yeah. Try Try to avoid, I mean, give, huh, that's weird. It just shouldn't yeah. let you do it. You know, you would think somebody would have a tech note somewhere saying, Hey, let's put in a warning saying, I mean, it's like with characters, there are certain characters that you can't use in certain file names. Right. Most OSs deal with it in a different way, but they right. basically say, sorry, you can't use that. So let's have it at a higher level. Yeah. Don't name it this. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of being set at a terminal prompt, we've had actually in the last week, we've had three or four emails come in uh, from, from folks. And Josh wrote, I have a question about terminal on the Mac. I hear people talking about it a lot to help fix problems and do other helpful stuff but I don't really know any commands or how to use it at all. I was just wondering if you know of a good place I could start looking to get me going on the topic and learning some commands. Pretty much any information you have on the topic would be helpful because I know almost nothing about it. We actually covered this uh, back almost two years ago. I think it was October of 05. And mm -hmm. uh, we did two shows on the terminal. And uh, like I said, I sent out the link, the links for both of those a couple of times. It was shows 20 and 21. So early on. Uh, wow. Yeah. And so we've put those two shows in the show notes. They're there already. Uh, you can go check that out and, uh, and download them. You can kind of listen to how, how the style of the show has evolved since then, but there's a lot of juicy info right there. Uh, no sense rehashing it because it's right there. Still, still downloadable. In fact, I started listening to them today and, uh, and had a couple of little chuckles. Huh. So, <laughs> uh, now I, I found one thing, which I'd say if, if there's anywhere to start, Yep. And you'll get a chuckle out of this, I think, is that there is a utility which uh, looks like it was just updated just the other day called Manhandler. I'm not kidding you. That's okay. That's cute, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but basically, it's a it's a, a graphical front end to the man pages. Oh, so okay. If you want to know about Unix commands, the place to look is, is the manual pages. So when you get to the terminal, if you type man and then the name of a command, it'll kind of tell you what it's about. This gives you a nicer way to do that with actually having to go to the terminal. Uh, it's a place to start. Now, it could get kind of, you know, if you don't know what the commands should be. Yeah. But uh, but but it's a, it's an interface where you can have multiple windows and compare commands, and it'll tell you all the arguments. So, uh, Or check out our early shows. Yeah, yeah. I should listen to them, too. I think we get a chuckle. Yeah. 
Yeah. Speaking yeah, of shows, a lot. Uh, yeah, and and we're and we're constantly improving. We you know we do get comments from uh, folks about not only the style of the show but mm. the audio and the levels and all that. We had more than a few comments this week, which is odd because it's been the we haven't had any about this in a long time. And we had a couple mm-hmm. of comments about uh, our levels varying and making it difficult to listen to in the car with with some, you know, floor of road noise. So w- this show, we've actually tightened up the dynamic compression a little bit, which hopefully will keep the levels a little more uh, manageable for those of you that are listening in your cars. Please do let us know, though, if, if you know, we, we do try to test in a lot of environments. I listen to in my car probably once a month just to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm keeping on top of that stuff. I know John obviously listens back to every show while he creates the show notes. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and we do try to stay on top of this. But, you know, we're only two guys. We only have so many different places we can listen. So if you have stuff to tell us, please do. Uh, you know, we're happy to hear it, even if it's look, you know, I think the audio quality sucks. Well, tell us, you know, we we strive for for perfection and, and really we strive for excellence here. Perfection is a uh, unattainable goal. Right. But uh, we strive for excellence. Mm-hmm. We, try, we strive to do the best that we can, given that we're basically recording this as a live show. Right. We we don't do any post-production and, and that's by design. If we did, mm-hmm. it would take days for this show to get out just because of the way my schedule works and the way John's schedule works. So. We, we record this as a live show. It is mixed live by me while we're, while we're recording here. And then the file is converted from uh, AIFF to MP3 and uploaded pretty much the show is the MP3 version of the show is live uh, very, very shortly after we finish within usually within 15 or 20 minutes. I mean that, that quick. And then Michael uh, goes ahead and, and converts it. That's Michael Johnston of iPhoneAlley.com. He goes and converts it Um and, and then that's usually up, you know, usually within five or six hours. Uh, sometimes it takes, you know, 24 hours if, if there's a scheduling, you know, mishap or something. But uh, but otherwise, that's that. So please do. Yeah, we 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 definitely want to hear uh, if if you're happy and also if you're if you're unhappy. So um, I don't No, you don't. OK. Uh, now, I've learned to address the microphone. Yeah, that's right. Is that you? Is that you say it? That's how you say it. Of course, you weren't really addressing the mic very well when you said that, but that's, you know, that's a whole other what? story. <laughs> uh, I know. Alan, I know. Alan has, uh, has something I've seen. I don't know the answer. Maybe one of you does. Mm. Hey, John and Dave. This is Alan from the sweltering hot metro Atlanta area. I have a question about my Mac and Firefox. For the past several months, probably going on about a year now, Firefox will just randomly stop recognizing any input from my keyboard. I'll try to put in a uh, type in a new URL or fill in the text box in a website, and nothing happens. And the only way I found to fix this is to to completely quit and restart Firefox. But I'd really like to stop this from happening at all. I don't want to have to keep restarting Firefox every time it happens. Uh, I haven't deleted the the plist file yet uh, because I have a, a lot of usernames and passwords saved to various websites, and was a little afraid that it would delete all of those. Um, if it wouldn't, that'd be fine, but I would appreciate any help to, to, to stop this from happening. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. I love the show. I've been listening for a long time now and would appreciate any help. Thanks. Bye. Dave, it's Robert Hitherig. You know, the uh, I want my OSG guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause right here. He, uh, he is the one that did the, the, the voice at the beginning of the, that, that intro we did, not, uh, not last show, but the one before. He wrote lyrics for the I Want My MGG song. Uh, and and if anyone out there is interested in, in getting involved in, in actually making this into a, uh, a, a an Music audio, video. an audio. Well, we don't know. No, no, let's not go to the video yet. Just an audible reality. Uh, <laughs> please let me know. We, mm-hmm. None of us have time to really make it happen uh, individually. But but I think if we pull our efforts, we uh, we can have a lot of fun with this. The lyrics are fantastic. So. Uh, please let us know, you know, if you uh, if you're interested in getting involved. Uh, and now I'll I'll go on with his comment that I don't think he actually meant for us to air, but but it's actually got some good stuff in it. So uh, some little nuggets that will will help you pick out. Hi. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was calling to ask one, uh, have you gotten anywhere with the song yet? And two, to let you know that I went to the Apple Store tonight with every intention of losing my bet with my friends, you know, the bet where we're holding out to see who can go the longest without buying the iPhone, and, and I'm 
very confident that I'm going to win the bet. I was just playing with the iPhone and making some phone calls and using the speakerphone, and I was extremely disappointed with the speakerphone compared to um, my piece of or my POS, I should say, Nokia. Uh, I think it's a 6120 candy bar free phone that I got when I signed up for my service. So, um, yeah, I called, made a couple phone calls, and everybody said when I called from the iPhone compared to the uh, the Nokia, that the iPhone sound quality um, was really bad. They heard a lot of background noise. They could barely hear me. Um, and on the flip side, when I called on Nokia, it was uh, it was great. And for me, using the speakerphone was exactly the same. I could barely hear what was coming through the phone on the speakerphone. And when I used my Nokia, uh, it sounded awesome. It was great. So, um, so that that was the deal breaker. The other thing that I've always been concerned about was the FM transmitters. And the FM transmitter, you know, like I use my iPod every day in the car, back and forth to to and from work, and I don't have any hardwiring. Solu- I don't have a hardwire solution for my my uh, car stereo, so I have to use an FM transmitter with my Nano. And uh, I was told by the guys at the Apple Store that uh, uh, they may work, they may not work, nothing's guaranteed to work. The ones that do work, it's pretty cool that you usually get the phone call through the speaker system of the car, but uh, I don't know. I'm just not uh, I'm not too keen on it. I backed out again, and I think I'm going to wait for the second-gen phone, and I've made up my mind. So, All right. Thanks, Robert. Uh, so very interesting that, uh, that, that something I hadn't thought about, but if you're one of those people that uses speakerphone a lot, uh, obviously check out the uh, the iPhone and, and either confirm or 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 refute uh, Robert's claims that it just doesn't work as well as he would like. But if you're, if you've got the FM transmitter or, or some other, you know, line in Jack to, uh, to go to your car stereo, hadn't even thought about this, but you know, being that it's an iPod, there are all sorts of ways to get your iPhone hooked up to your car stereo. And then you've got an in-car speakerphone essentially that will pause when music comes, when, you know, pause the music when a call comes in, which is actually pretty cool. So, uh, you know, and, and you've got that, of course, you know, I guess, well, it won't do audio over Bluetooth. It'll only do it as a headset, but perhaps that's something they'll, uh, they'll fix. But, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, I, I thought that was interesting. And for those of you that, are, well, go ahead, John. Well, with Firefox, it's keyboard. What's that? Yeah, we, well, <laughs> we don't have an answer for him. We're just, uh, you know, we're, we're putting that out there. I've seen it. Alan's seen it. You said you oh, okay. use Firefox. I figure we just, like I said, put that out there, and uh, okay. if anybody's got an answer, sure send it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the other thing is uh, today uh, at the Apple Store in their refurb section, the iPhones appeared, made their first appearance, and you can get an iPhone, the four gig or the eight gig, for a hundred bucks off retail, and same one year warranty, same uh, you know all the accessories and all that good stuff. Uh, if it's anything like other Apple refurbs, it's not you know, really noticeable that it's been through the refurb process. It's basically brand new. Uh, at least that's been my experience with refurbs. So uh, for a hundred bucks mm-hmm. off, we've got a link in the show notes and probably, and you can get Apple care, right? Yeah, you can get Apple care, but you can't get at least not through AT&T. You can't get insurance, but I'm sure there's some enterprising company out there that would be happy to sell you insurance for, uh, for the iPhone. Mm-hmm. That, that would be my thought anyway. It's a hot item. It is a hot item. There you go. Like uh, go ahead. What's that? Like red, like red fishbone. That's right. Uh, podcast. Tell us who that is, please. We don't know who red fishbone is. We just know that he's hot. Uh, uh, podcast and new media expo is end of September, the 28th through the 30th out in Ontario, California. John and I will be there. Uh, there is actually oh, yeah. TMO is a media sponsor of a party that's happening Friday night with culture catch and a bunch of cool bands. We hope to have oh, more, nice. more info for you uh, on that next week, but can uh, you get me a ticket. Yes, I can get you a ticket. John. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, let's see, we've got, Next we've got week. a, we've got a re- review cast coming up. We've also, as I mentioned, we're going to do a uh, show targeted just for you switchers. So for all of you switchers out there, potential switchers that are listening, uh, 
send in your questions about the things that matter most to you. Or if you're a switcher, uh, an existing switcher that's gone through it and you think, oh gosh, if only before I went through this, I knew X. Send in a comment about X. We'd, we'd love to play it. We'd love to share your experience. So please do all that. Cashfly hosting is where you've downloaded this. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this here, John, because uh, it's driving me crazy. I, I've done this every week, and uh, yeah, and and uh, here we go. So you need to think of a better way to talk about Cashfly. How about this? Cashfly provides the big honking pipe that gets this podcast you lickety quick. Just all right. That's it. Was that the voice of Cashfly? No, it was the voice of a uh, a very helpful listener. Thank you very much. The podcast marketplace this month has the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from Audible.com as long as you click the link and browse back from Smile on My Mac. Any interested sponsors can go through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And if you know of a company that you think should be sponsoring the show, send them to the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. We'd love to talk to them. So... I think that's it. You I don't have I anything to talk else. about. No, I do. What? You know, this is America. Gosh darn it! You got to vote. Oh, oh no, no, we'll Re- vote too. Yeah, review the show. We'll vote next month. It's it's too late in August. We'll vote in September. Oh, yeah, but the reviews. Uh, the iTunes the good reviews. Ones, we yeah. like the bad ones. We like those too. Yeah. Well, as long but, as they're not nasty. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Apple will bounce them if they are. Uh, yeah. Go go to go to our uh, our shows home in iTunes which you can get to from the show notes at macgeekgab.com and uh, and go ahead and post a review let others know what you think of the show it's uh, very helpful for and us. rank the other ones you can Absolutely. do that too you that's always a nice feature if yep. you think what other people say makes sense or yep. you agree with yep uh, uh, that's it I'm done <laughs> if you're done I'm done that's you got it it's late it's 10.15 that's late for us you going to stay up all night and do the show notes again, John? I don't know about that. All right. So you know they had a, a thing out here uh, locally, a, a little fishing derby. And, you know, if you're a fish and people are fishing, what would you think? Well, say that again? <laughs> I missed the whole fish thing. Oh, yeah. If there's a fishing derby and you're a fish, what would you think? Don't get caught. <laughs> Made up.